So, Tim, tell us a bit about what will you be doing this time tomorrow? Well, first of all, excuse me. Good morning, everyone. Um, well, it's 10.45. To be honest, I'm thinking about lunch about this time tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, really, I am. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm an early morning riser, so I'm generally up by five o'clock most days. Um, sometimes the gym, sometimes... Um, I'm praying, doing my daily Bible reading, sometimes Lectio 365, as our friend was saying earlier. But yeah, about that time, I'm, I'm ready for lunch. But um, in terms of the kind of bigger scheme of things, uh, the, uh, we, we help lead a lot of discipleship groups, essentially. Mm. So uh, we have one that's meeting right now. Tammy's leading downstairs um, with a group of about uh, eight or 10 people. Uh, we started that last year with some of the people who've been discipling over a period of time. Uh, we help lead uh, a missional community called Companions for Hope here in Summerfield. So uh, we actually live in inner city Birmingham, not far from Winston Green Prison and City Center, if anybody's familiar with the, that area. And uh, Five Ways, Five Ways is almost within throwing distance. And the new, the new Metropolitan Hospital, we're not far from City Hospital. So Companions for Hope is a missional community. Um, we also help lead, and this is some of the things we'll be working on tomorrow, is with um, something called Equip Britain, which uh, we've been doing with others for about four years, uh, where essentially we're, we're training people to be global workers. So we're training people to be missionaries. So yeah. people come and do a 10-month placement. We help them with understanding culture and coach and mentor them uh, in discipleship processes and things related to today's topic, actually. Yeah, fantastic. So, and you've been around this sort of area, haven't you, for quite a long time, haven't you, doing that? Yes. So those of you who have been part of Alton Baptist Church for a long time will remember Howard Jones. Yeah. Uh, we, we actually moved in the country 27 years ago uh, into Shirley. Yeah. And we were there for 21 years. And Howard and I and others used to gather every Friday morning for about 10 years praying together. And so I've actually spoken at Alton uh, Baptist Church a number of times over the years, but for some reason, nine years, somebody, <laughs> did I make somebody mad? <laughs> no, I don't think so, not at all, not at all. No, no. so, um, so when, when Bernice, you, when you contacted me about not speaking, I was really delighted, so this is part of a continuation of a relationship for some 27 years, even if we hadn't spoken to each other for nine <laughs> That's amazing. That is amazing. And lovely to hear that you've been praying for people in Shirley and Birmingham for, you know, as you say, a long, long time. So you yeah. know, that's amazing, that kind of commitment to people in this local area. And so what can we pray for you and your wife, Tammy, as you, you as you say, are working in this um, missional community um, yeah. near Ways, and also the discipleship groups you're running? And I think you're involved, as you say, in lots of different things. So what can we pray yeah. for you for? So uh, one of the big things coming up for up for us uh, as people who are supported by churches and friends in America uh, we'll be in the states this autumn for four months uh, raising additional support and connecting with friends really across the country but primarily on the east coast whom we haven't seen for over three years in some cases many years some of those folks and uh, so it's about you know renewing those connections but also with each of the discipleship groups um, and discipleship kinds of teams that we help lead or co-lead or help catalyze. Um, it's actually discipling people in such a way that they can do what we've been doing with them um, while we're away and, yeah. and actually being able to multiply that in some way. 
yes absolutely for it to carry on whilst you're not there and for people to grow and yeah. learn in it you know in those yeah. skills yeah definitely yeah. brilliant well let, let's pray for you now yeah, thank you Lord, we just thank you for Tim and for Tammy, even as she's leading this discipleship group this morning. Thank you for their love for you and their love for others. Thank you for this home, this um, uh, missional community that they live in, in this quite um, difficult area of Birmingham and just the need that will be there. Mm. Thank you for that love and that uh, kind of seeds that you've you've seed, sown in them to um, to to lead and run this this um, this community uh, home that's there and to disciple others that come along. Thank you that you have put them in a place where they can help people grow and develop in their faith in you. And we pray as they go back to America and probably my guess is it's been a while since they've been back home. Pray that you are able to help them connect with friends and families to gain support, to continue doing the work that they're doing over here, um, to um, just enjoy being back home and uh, uh, reconnecting with their loved ones. And I pray that you would just uh, continue to grow the, the communities that they are involved in here without them, and that those people that they're mentoring and supporting and discipling would grow in their leadership skills and be able to, to develop and grow and lead others. Mm. And we just thank you for that relationship of being mentored and mentoring others, that relationship of discipling and discipling others. Mm -hmm. And just pray that, uh, yeah, that they're um, all that you've given them, all their wisdom that they've learned, all the love that they have for others would just be sown and re-sown and, uh, and that your kingdom would grow from all the, the, the work that they are doing in, in Birmingham particularly, but in, in various places, I'm sure, uh, mm -hmm. across the Internet as well. So I pray that you would just anoint him yeah. now, that you would speak your words, that you would help us to, to seek your truth in this passage that you're sharing and in this promise that you've given us. Pray that we can rest in yeah. your promises at this time, Lord. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Tim, over to you. Yeah. So uh, welcome technology. So uh, I already see that my PowerPoint is missing. So bear with me It's all yeah. right, yeah. It was there, Tim, don't worry. Oh, well, now it is. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everybody can everybody yeah. see that? So I can only see me and the PowerPoint. So I can't see everybody else. It's one of those things about technology that's sometimes a bit frustrating. Uh, we're looking at um, John 15, 11. Uh, I was looking at 1 to 8, but obviously through 11. And uh, talk about that in a minute. But here's kind of the thesis for the day um, about being fruitful. And it's, it's a question mark because are we being fruitful? And uh, my kind of thesis behind what we're saying today is that bearing fruit that lasts cannot be done without being discipled into the kingdom of God by Jesus. And uh, so we're going to talk about that a little bit today. I, I have a family. So uh, one of the exciting things for us is that our daughter, who's on the right, is marrying uh, that lovely Hawaiian-looking guy, uh, Gil, in April next year. So after our time in the States in the autumn, and then uh, we'll be back again April next year. Uh, in the middle is Tammy, and then our son, Andrew. Uh, and that's our family. So, so we've actually lived in, in England 27 years. Tammy and I got our British citizenship uh, four years ago. And so we're, we're, we're dual citizens. And uh, I, I, I think it's funny that I'm as brummy as most people. <laughs> uh, so as, as I talk today, um, I am aware of uh, what's happened this past week with um, your search for a minister. And uh, I was actually at Tim Ferguson's induction 
when he was inducted many years ago, and I know he's been gone a couple of years now uh, with his new role, and uh, that you're kind of in a place of uncertainty. Um, and uh, I hope that what I have to say today connects with you. Um, if, if it doesn't, uh, well, I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit makes some sort of connection for you. But if you've got any questions, feel free to text me or WhatsApp me. Uh, and uh, with your question, make sure you give me your name as well. And I'll endeavor to answer sometime in the week. I won't be looking at this, obviously, while I'm speaking. But uh, if you want to take a, a screenshot of that or a photo of that, um, do within the next 10 seconds. Uh, I'll move on to the next slide here shortly. So the, the things of John 15 that we're looking at today uh, are some things I've been thinking about for a long time. And um, uh, Bernice, I think, forwarded to you a, a little task if you wanted to do it in advance, and that was to do a, what we call a three-column study Tim, um, I didn't actually do that. Sorry, I meant to say that to you beforehand. Okay, so, no worries. Do, do talk through it and we'll do it yep. again. Another yes. point. Yeah, so, so um, one of the things that, that we do as part of our um, uh, scripture practice, our discipleship, is something called a three-column study. Uh, actually talks about something called SOAP back in 2009, which stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. And it's actually a form of three-column a study as well. So a three-column study is simply you take a passage and in the first column you write it out um, in a journal or on a piece of paper, uh, word for word in the first column. The second column, you actually write it out in your own words. And the third column, you're actually um, completing the sentence, I will, or I hear Jesus saying to me to do this uh, and in a prayerful way, respond to that. So essentially it's a way of saying, that when I engage with scripture, when I engage with Jesus, when I ask the Holy Spirit to speak to me through scripture, that there's going to be something uh, usually that Jesus says to me to do. Now, uh, you may be familiar with the message paraphrase. The message paraphrase is actually a form of a three-column study. So this is, this is Eugene Peterson's uh, looking at, at, at scripture, processing it through and putting in his own words and uh, most of it known as a very kind of rich passage. So let me read from that one. And, uh, and one of the things that I found really interesting because I've been processing this passage over the last couple of years, particularly with the pruning side of things, is I've done uh, at least four, maybe five, three-column studies on this passage over the last two years. And I've actually gone and found each one. And putting it in my words has been, uh, and reading what I put over the course of those two, two years in my words has really been interesting and really encouraging to me. So, but here's, here's, here's um, Eugene Peterson's go at it. I am the real vine and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. You're already pruned back by the message I've spoken. Live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you're joined with me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates from me is deadwood, gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. 
But if you make yourself at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when he matures my disciples. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done. Kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. So there's more that can be said about that in terms of um, processing the passage. But so here's, here's kind of where I want to start. Because I think it starts with a question about, before we can talk about fruit, is what does it mean to be human? That is to be created in God's image. Uh, we're, we're doing and being human beings. Now, that's, I know that sounds a bit odd. Uh, we don't usually call ourselves human doings. Uh, when we talk about humanity, we talk about human beings. And the, the reason that I, I start here is because it has to do with where we find our identity and the question at the bottom of where is the locus of one's identity? And, and if we think about doing as kind of, if that's the primary thing, then all we are is focused on performance and work about things we're accomplishment, accomplishing, uh, the visible actions, the outward, the exterior, and about being caught up in activity. And, and you may lean to be more of an activistic kind of person on the doing side. You know, I'll certainly confess that, that I am, I'm very much a doing kind of person. And you know, if I talked about my childhood and growing up and uh, being an adult child of an alcoholic, I, I, I would tell you some things about how I find and have historically found meaning and purpose in what I do and getting recognized for that rather than whose I am. Uh, and, and for some people, that's where they're finding their identity and what they do and what they've done and whether they've accomplished anything by that measurement. But uh, the other side of it has to do with being. And here the focus is about, about rest, about reflection, about the invisible thought life that we all have, about the inward and the interior, and about being present to the moment. And, and again, the question is, where is where's the locus of one's own identity? Where, where are you finding your identity? And uh, this is just, just kind of a background to this question of, are we being fruitful or not? Now, uh, we need to talk about the language of the kingdom uh, of God or the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I've been fascinated in recent years by the very first words of preaching by John the Baptist, the very first words of preaching by, by Jesus is repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And in this Matthew 14, uh, 17 passage, uh, calling these fishermen to be followers. And then this statement that Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. There's this, in, in Matthew's gospel, there's, there's well over 30 times where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven. And, and Matthew 13, these parables, the kingdom of heaven, or the, the kingdom of heaven is like, because it can't be explained without a parable. That is, there's something about the nature of life together with God that can't be explained except by a parable. And it's this kind of life that Jesus is teaching and demonstrating and proclaiming and calling people into. Do these fishermen know what they're being called into at the very beginning? They do not. And uh, you only have to read the Gospels and, and see that. So there's this language of the kingdom. 
And uh, I, I found uh, Dallas Willard really helpful over the years. I had a, a doctoral class with him back in 2005, and it just transformed my thinking about, about these things and about discipleship. And here's some things he says about the kingdom of God. And um, Matthew's gospel uses uh, primarily kingdom of heaven, and uh, Mark and Luke primarily use kingdom of, of God. But it's, it's the same, same idea. Uh, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. Well, what he wants done is done. It's the striking availability of God to meet present human need through the actions of Jesus. It's accessible and, and livable. That is, we can live out the kingdom of God and his values in the here and now through Jesus. And, and this final statement, again, coming from divine conspiracy, when we see Jesus as he is, we must turn away or shamelessly adore him. And, and if you think about that word repent, it, it, it actually means to orient oneself or uh, to make the decision to change my trajectory so it's towards God instead of away from God. It's doing the 180. And when we see Jesus as he is, we either orient our ourselves towards him um, shamelessly or we've got to turn away. There, there, there isn't, there isn't um, uh, any middle ground on that. And then he says this in his book, Renovation of the Heart. And uh, this might sound a little heady, so I, I hope you'll hang with me on this. The impotence of systems is a main reason why Jesus did not send his students, that his apprentices, the disciples, out to start governments or even churches as we know them today, which always strongly convey some elements of a human system. They were instead to establish beachheads of his person, word, and power in the midst of a failing and futile humanity. They were to bring the presence of the kingdom and its king into every corner of human life simply by fully living in the kingdom with him. Uh, let me say that again. They bring the presence of the kingdom and its king into every corner of human life simply by fully living in the kingdom with him. Uh, uh, that, that just... Um, amazes me. It just calls me into relationship with him. Now, uh, what, can we, what else can we say about the life of Jesus? Uh, I, I'm captivated by this middle verse, um, the, the Hebrews 5, 8 to 9, which I've got there in the, both NIV and the, and the message um, paraphrase. But it's this idea that he learned obedience from what he suffered, and he becomes a source of eternal salvation for all who obey him that he, he became mature uh, without ever sinning. I mean, this is, this is the thing that just startles me. He became mature in his obedience. He learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, so let, let, let me just ask, uh, in terms of us following after Jesus, can we expect anything different? That is, we're learning obedience by the things we experience. Now, there's a lot more I could say on that, but um, this, is, this is how I'm going to just narrow down on this. In, in our culture, uh, Western culture particularly, uh, we've become enamored with people uh, who know the Bible, um, can speak as experts, um, educational systems built on knowledge of the Bible and being able to translate from the original languages and all these sorts of things. But it doesn't actually affect life change. And 
uh, again, without going into great detail on all of these, uh, we've got to be thinking about an obedience-based discipleship that's acting on the knowledge and insight we gain from scripture. So that's why with a three-column study or the SOAP principle, scripture, observation, application, prayer, we're talking about actually hearing the voice of Jesus, doing something with it. And, and why is that important? Because Jesus himself said, I, I obey the Father and I do what I see him doing. Uh, I, I love the Father and uh, I'm connected to him and I do what I see him doing. And my food is to do the will of him who sent me. You know, all these scripture passages we could talk about where he's actually intent and focused to be a good follower of God himself to hear his voice, to rely on him, to be sustained by him, and to walk in obedience. It, it does that perfectly. So, so that's something we need to be thinking about. Now, uh, why is this important? Well, let me use the example of Gary Chapman's The Five language, Love Languages just to um, speak on this. So you can actually do an um, um, uh, internet search for The Five Love Languages. Uh, I, I won't cover what these are, but there, there's five of them. And... Uh, uh, I, uh, if you do a Google search, you'll find them very quickly. But the idea here is that um, knowing one's love language is really important because uh, we all want to be loved, don't we? We all want uh, uh, another person to impact us so that we uh, experience being valued and being precious. So all of us have primary love languages. Now, You'll see that quality time and physical touch are bold there. That's because those are mine. Uh, and it's good that I know these. But let me tell you, as, as a husband who's been married to my wife, Tammy, for almost 38 years, it's more important that I know my wife's love language. Uh, fortunate for me, their quality time and physical touch as well. Now, why is it important that I know my wife's love language? And this is the whole thesis behind Gary Chapman's um, development of these. He says, uh, we, we tend to primarily communicate care uh, for another person by the, our own love language. And he says, listen, you need to know the love language of, of your spouse and others so you can speak their love language. Now, I can tell you, if, I did, if Tammy and I didn't hug and cuddle and hold hands multiple times in the course of a day, if I withheld that from her, I would feel less. But let me tell you, my wife would not be happy. <laughs> She would, she would, she would um, receive that as a strong message that I am not connected with her. Uh, so it's important that I do that. And, and we do do that. And it's just part of, our, part of who we are with each other after all these years. No, no questions. Why is this important just to think about this as love language? Well, because discipleship as loving obedience to Jesus is God's love language. That is, when I hear Jesus speak to me, just as Jesus heard the Father speak to him and did what he heard the, um, the Father doing, heard what the Father was saying and did what he wanted, what the Father wanted. So that's true for us. So what, what does it mean to be discipled into the life and values of the kingdom of heaven? And again, with this kingdom of heaven where I'm living under the rule and reign of Jesus and the kingdom goes wherever I go. And it, it brings together this whole doing and being thing so that I'm integrated person. So that uh, my doing flows from my being. So that I'm not getting my sense of value 
from what I do, I'm getting the sense of value from who God declares me to be, who, who God says I am in relationship with him. And so what I do flows from that. And because of my uh, loving obedience to Jesus, the kingdom goes wherever I go. So because I've said he's, he's Lord over me, where I go, and because I, I want to live out the Jesus kind of life wherever I go, he goes with me. And that the kingdom of heaven goes. So I love the way Dallas Willard puts it. A disciple is who Jesus would be if he were you. It's where I live out the values of the kingdom of God in such a way I do without thinking. It's, it's organic. Let me just flesh this out just a little bit more. We know that we must, instead of just trying to obey, find a way to become the kind of person who does easily and routinely what Jesus said, does it without having to think much about it, if at all, in the ordinary case. It is here that spiritual disciplines come to our rescue, always encompassed by grace. In engaging disciplines, we go to the root of the tree of our life, the sources of behavior. We do the things that will transform our minds, our feelings, our will, our embodied and social existence, even the depths of our soul to make the tree good and its fruit good. We cultivate and fertilize the tree. We don't try to squeeze, squeeze fruit out of the ends of its branches. Uh, let, let me give a couple of illustrations. So this is, this is my back garden uh, here on Rotten Park Road uh, in 2016. When we moved into um, this place, uh, it was literally a tip from the back fence uh, to the back wall of the house. And uh, one of the things I did is I, I put turf in that the rows you see on the right um, is, is from the rows uh, that's right in the middle of uh, just above the little green planter there. It's the top rows. And uh, this is a photo I actually took this morning out my, out my back door. Uh, I have learned, uh, particularly the fat past five years in, in terms of caring for my back garden, is I don't make anything grow. Uh, if anything, <laughs> if anything, I know how to kill things in my back garden. <laughs> you know, every year I buy some plants from Thompson and Morgan or Jersey Plants Direct or something like that. I get these little plugs. I put them in little pots and about half of them die before I ever get them transplanted out in the back garden. I know how to kill things. <laughs> uh if anything grows in my back, you know, do you ever say to your kids, um, grow? Uh, no, it, you know, you might say grow up because you're expecting behavior um, that's more mature than that they're capable of. But we, we can only cooperate uh, with what God is doing. Uh, we can only identify where he's at work already and join him. And when it comes to growing plants, we don't grow anything. We really, we don't grow anything. We cultivate, we water, we fertilize. We try to put the right nutrients in the soil. Um, uh, and it's the, God is the one that makes everything grow. And it's the same, same as true discipleship. Um, uh, I know time is getting away from me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip a couple of things here and go to this, this page. By saying... Coming back to this doing and being thing, what does it mean to be discipled into the life and values of the kingdom of heaven? Mm -hmm. And 
I give you a little picture of a continuum of discipleship. And um, if we've got a vision of being uh, kind of a portable kingdom of God, as wherever we go, the kingdom goes, because we're living into the rule and reign of Jesus, and over a period of life, we're becoming more like Jesus, then, then that's a process of discipleship. That's an integration of being and doing. And coaching is more about the doing side, and mentoring is about the being side. And uh, this, is, this is a way of helping you think about the kind of resources that you might need for your spiritual growth. Remember, you don't make yourself grow. You don't squeeze extra fruit, extra life out of a plant. You cooperate with God in discipleship that he has for you in becoming the person that God meant you to be. So let, let me kind of close um, with a, a tale of two trees. So now this is, this is an American context photo and story. So if it doesn't quite connect with you, I'm sorry, but I hope it will. Do you see the two trees? So on the left is this kind of bruised and battered tree. On the right is this young tree that is thriving and prospering. Um, the tree on the left, which is um, bruised and beaten. Uh, this, this is on a farm of our friend Peggy in Virginia, uh, who we lived with in, in 1988, 1998 for about, uh, I guess, about two, three months while we were uh, seeing our supporters like we are this autumn. And uh, this tree uh, at that time had um, loads, had, had a, a trunk and loads of branches. And I said to Peggy, Peggy, this tree is dangerous. We need to cut some of those, those, um, some of those branches, thick branches, because it may fall on you or fall on your, on your house. And so she said, go ahead. And I actually have video of me um, cutting this tree down. Um, no attention to health and safety, you know, those sorts of things in the day, but I came back to this tree um, three years later and what I had trimmed suddenly had growth on it. So here, here's the tale of the true trees. First of all, there's a young tree. Uh, fruits of the first tree. It's strong and green. It's young and stout. And when you look at this tree, you say this tree has hope. It has growth ahead. It's, it's strong. It's well-rooted. It has promise. There's anticipation of potential. But you know what? It, it's, not, it's not like the other tree. It has few stories. It's got very little shaping by life and circumstances. And if you cut it and you look at the growth rings, you know, there wouldn't be many there. This other tree, uh, this tree has loads of stories. Uh, this, is, this is a photo from the, from the front porch of Peggy's farmhouse. And, uh, and if you look closely in the middle of it, you can actually see there's a hole through the tree. This tree again, this is the American context, um, served as target practice for um, uh, several generations. Uh, they'd get up on the, on the porch and they'd learn how to, how to um, uh, target a, a rifle uh, and to shoot at this tree. And it took a beating over the years. It's been the subject of pruning. I pruned that thing back um, ruthlessly. Uh, but branches came back. It has character. It has stories. When you sit on the front porch and look at that tree, uh, 
you think of about Psalm 1, you think about Psalm 52, about Psalm 92, about a tree planted by water that brings fruit, about an olive tree that brings its fruit, about a tree that uh, has a legacy. It's about, and on this tree, there's new growth. There's, there's also promise and hope and potential. And, but there's a humility to this tree. I, I just love this tree. Uh, these questions, uh, these trees, um, I hope, thinking about discipleship, I beg some questions for you to consider. Whose stories and life do you need to hear and take part in? You're, you're this young tree. <laughs> uh, you have all this promise ahead of you. Uh, you're growing. You're, you're beginning to really come into your own. But what stories in life do you need to hear and take part in? And what are you learning about how you're shaped by God and your unique contribution to the kingdom? And more, uh, more personally, what, what disciplines and spiritual disciplines will you cultivate which will help you cooperate with God's work in you? And even more personally, who will you ask to disciple you? All trees. Uh, I just turned 60, so I, I, can, I can say this um, and pick on people because I'm picking on myself. What are your stories? What pot shots have you taken? What shaping by God have you experienced? How has God been pruning you? What new growth can you hope for and anticipate? And the question of discipleship, with whom are you sharing this life and these lessons by intentionally discipling? To kind of close this all, all up. Are you experiencing fruitfulness as Jesus intended? If not, that's a typo. If not, what are the obstacles? What are you hearing Jesus saying to you? Are you acting on it? Who's discipling you and who are you discipling? And is there a need to lean more to the coaching or the mentoring side of discipleship? Do you need more help in terms of the action side of things? Or do you need more help with the, the being side of things? I, I don't know the answers for you. I, I hope these questions will provoke some thinking for you. Uh, I think I've just kind of touched this, the surface of this. But one of the things we're thinking about and the teams that I'm on is, am I a disciple worth multiplying? Am I a disciple worth multiplying starts there before I can talk about anything else. Am I a disciple worth multiplying? Am I living out the life of the kingdom in such a way that it just leaks out all over the place where I do the things Jesus would do if you were me without a second thought? That's what I have to offer today. Lord Jesus, would you be the one that disciples us would you be liberal in speaking your voice to us so we can hear in such a way that we can hear and respond? For Alton Baptist Church, as you disciple this congregation of believers who, who love you, are, are seeking your will, would you speak clearly to them so they can follow you? In your mercy, please hear our prayer. Amen.